It's good to be with you tonight. Feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Very, very excited about what is taking place this week, Resurrection Sunday. It will be a, well, it's an opportunity or an obstacle. It can be a obstacle because we can't celebrate Resurrection Sunday here in the church, or it's an opportunity. And this will probably be one of those situations where uh, it's a unique time, 2020. And you will remember having Resurrection Sunday in your home. So I would challenge you, take that opportunity and utilize it to its fullest. Amen. Gather your family together and celebrate God's goodness within the confines of your home. That service will be Sunday morning at 10. Very, very excited about the prayer gate. Brother Kevin Condren has done a lot of work on the prayer gate and uh, we normally would have taken some time out, had a ribbon cutting ceremony and acknowledged uh, the many, many hours that he has spent along with others on putting that all together. Uh, we can't do that, so we're going to do it in a unique way. So we've got a busy week this week. In the midst of all that you're doing, let the Lord know that you are on the Lord's side and you're walking with him. Praise God. Tonight, I want to read from a very, very powerful scripture. It is a very known scripture. It is found in the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to turn to the great commandment. Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number four. We'll be reading verse number four and verse number five. Praise God. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse number four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. This is the great commandment. And uh, I've been reflecting, I've been pondering, I've been passing over thoughts of inspiration. It's very, very interesting to note that some things that you have studied, things that you have retained or absorbed into your mind uh, have a different impact depending on the environment or the season that you're in. And so tonight it's Tuesday on the rock and I'm, I'm coming to you with a verse that is certainly rock Material. This is bedrock material about who we are. We are identified by a name that's above every name. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And also want to read in your reading a New Testament scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Both of these verses together, they balance the Old Testament and the New Testament with the same truth. And that truth is that God is one Lord, one Lord. I want to speak to you for a few moments tonight on this subject. 
There is more to your house than your address. There is more to your house than your address. Lord, we thank you and praise you tonight for your word. Magnify you greatly and stand upon the authority of your word. I'm thankful for a name that is applied to my life. And I'm thankful that I'm able to speak that name in faith tonight. And I do it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being attentive to the reading of the word of the Lord. I want to say my title once again. There's more to your house than your address. As you know, your home is identified usually by some type of sign depending on what it may be. It may be a decorative sign that is affixed to your house, the wall of your house, by your door. It may be something that is stuck in your yard. There may be something that is stenciled on the curb. Somebody might have passed by and said, for five bucks, I will paint your address on the curb so people can see when they come to your house. You may have taken advantage of that or not, but there is some way that identifies your house. It's your address. And I want to say to you tonight that there's more to your house than just a sign or just your address. We read this passage of scripture and it is connected to a commandment and to a word. That these words that are spoken, this here, this is an imperative. This is not an option to the children of Israel, but there's a very emphatic here and they are to hear this. And this pertains to and it connects to their house. This has great, great meaning. As a matter of fact, it is a confession of faith by which they acknowledged the one true God and his commandments for them. This identified them. This made them unique. This made them distinctive. And Jesus also in the New Testament gives much credence to this passage of scripture because when they asked him, Master, what is the greatest commandment? He answered by quoting this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 28, the scribes came and they reasoned together and they perceived that he was answering well. And so they asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Mind and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. Jesus put his understanding and his authority upon this passage as well. These two passages link up something that makes a unique identification of who the people of God are. It it defines them. And not only does it define them, but it also says something about who he is. He is not to be confused with the creation but correctly he is to be identified as the one that is the creator. And this is a key point to the children of Israel that they are to hear. You're not worshiping the gods of this world. You're not worshiping the gods of creation that individuals and cultures have erected and they are worshiping the God of the sun and the moon and the stars. You're not worshiping the God of nature, but you are worshiping the God that has created the nature. 
I feel the Holy Ghost right there. We're not serving gods and idolatry of a world. We're serving the one true living God. This is why we praise him with everything that is in us. This is why we magnify him the way that we do. Why? Because he's greater than the creation around me. But he is the creator that has created all things. And I give to him allegiance and I give to him praise. This is a unique identifier. And this is, this marks them. This sets them apart with special revelation. Oh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, it sets you apart. There is a unique identification upon your life. It's his name. It's his power. And so they were to be set apart with special revelation to the very core of who they were. Down deep in their DNA, it was to absorb completely that they were serving the one true living God. Not a multiplicity of gods. Not gods of nature. Not the gods the Egyptians worshipped. Not the gods the Canaanites worshipped. But the one true living God that brought them out of bondage and led them out of Egypt and brought them to a promised land. We are servants of the God who is many things. And this is what identifies you. You Hebrews, here. You people in 2020, here. There is a God that is defining and describing himself about the one that you serve. There are many compound names in the Old Testament. There are seven of them. Seven, of course, is a number of completeness. And these compound names reveal God in specific ways from Genesis to Ezekiel. In Genesis 22, Abraham finds out that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord that will provide a sacrifice. Exodus, he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, our healer. In Exodus chapter 17, he is Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord, our banner. In Judges, he is Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord, our peace. In Psalms, he is Jehovah Ra'ah. He is the Lord, our shepherd. In Jeremiah, he is Jehovah Sidkenu, which is the Lord, our righteousness. In Ezekiel, he is Jehovah Shammah, which is the Lord that is present. We are the servants of that Lord. I want you to know tonight in faith, I want you to know that you serve a God that has said from his holy word to hear who he is. He is a God that will provide. I know you're facing difficulties. I know you're in the middle of a storm and you may not know what tomorrow holds, but you can't uphold your faith and you can say, God, I know that you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the God that brings, uh, you're a God that brings provisions to me in my circumstances. You are Jehovah, the Lord that is a healer. We need healing in bodies and lives. We need a healing in our nation. You are a Lord that is a banner. You go before me in the presence of my enemies. When the world is so full of confusion, you are a Lord 
Lord that is peace that brings peace to me. You're the shepherd that guides me. You're the Lord, our righteousness. And you're Lord that is in the presence of our present circumstances. You're a God that is there. You will not leave us, nor do you forsake us. And as a servant of God, I want you to know that I appreciate the fact that I'm defined by your ability and by your hand. You are a God that is present in the moment. You're present in the moment. And we give to you thanks. We are the servants of God and we are to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. God is a spirit and there is an expansiveness to his presence and his nature. John chapter 4 uh, the writer John said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In Acts chapter 7, uh, the writer said, Howbeit the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what place, what is the place of my rest? God, there is an expansiveness to his nature. I want you to know tonight, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place, but I I'm also convinced that due to the expansiveness of God's nature, the same power and the same ability can be found in the home or no matter where you may be in the car where you are. God's presence is still there because he is a spirit and he is expansive in his ability and in his uh, anointing. Acts 17 the scripture said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. He dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and all breath and all things. There's an expansiveness to God's ability and God's spirit. First Kings chapter eight and verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded, builded, says Solomon in this passage of scripture. There's an expansiveness to God's ability. The prophet Jeremiah said, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth? saith the Lord. God fills the expanses of the, the universe. There is a, there's an expansiveness of his power and his ability. You cannot escape the presence of God. The psalmist said, if I take the wings to the uttermost, you're a God that is there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there. No matter what you go through, no matter what valley you're in, God is in the midst of where you are. His presence and his ability is there. You can't escape that. That's the expansiveness of God's ability. God is a spirit and there is one spirit. Malachi 2 and verse 10, have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? One God created us. Isaiah wrote in chapter 44, verse 6 and said, I am the first 
and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Fear you not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Isaiah continued in chapter 45 and verse 5. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Amen. He repeats it again in verse 6. I am the Lord and there is none else. Isaiah continues in chapter 45 and he says, Who hath declared this from ancient time or who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord and there is no God else beside me? A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. There is a spiritual truth and a biblical truth that God is one. The expansiveness of his ability and his power and he's one in his identity. First Corinthians chapter eight and verse number five says, but to us, there is but one God, the father of whom are all things and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we by him. There is one spirit, one expansiveness of his present and there's one identity and revealer of that spirit that is found in Jesus Christ. Christ. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and who is through all and who is in you all. You've got the presence of God on the inside of you if you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's a God that's above all, through all, and in all. I want to know tonight, is there anybody excited about the fact that that presence that is, is expansive, the earnest of your inheritance is on the inside of you. This is what makes you different. This is why you're different from everybody else around you in turmoil and anxiety and stress. You've got the Holy Ghost in you. There's a depth to who you are. There's a power to who you are. There's an anointing to who you are. You need to square your shoulders and say to those around you. I know we're in difficult times, but I know a God that's greater than all of the difficult times. He's a sovereign God and he's able to do above and beyond what we could even think or ask. Praise God. First Timothy chapter two and verse number five, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, the only physical understanding of the God who is a spirit that you're ever going to see is found in the man, Christ Jesus. James said in chapter two and verse number 19, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And then lastly, Revelation chapter four and verse two, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Here, this is what comes forth out of Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number four that identifies the people of God. Here, Hear this, your God is one Lord, 
at the back of the book, John the Revelator said, I saw a throne and there was one sitting on the throne. Who's sitting on the throne? The one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. God is the father of creation. He's the father as the eternal spirit that fills the expansiveness of the universe. But that spirit and expansiveness cannot be seen unless he comes in the form of humanity. And he does in the form of one by the name of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. Not only is God a spirit and not only is there but one God. Amen. Praise God. But first Timothy chapter three and verse 16 that we read at the beginning of this lesson said, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and he was received up into glory. I want to say something emphatic tonight. I want to stand on two feet with my shoulders squared back and my head up. I want to say this. I want to say that the scripture is very clear that Jesus is the only image and reflection of the unseen God. Jesus is God. He is the full revelation of that one God. He becomes the man, Christ Jesus. Yet simultaneously, he retains his role as the eternal spirit that fills the entire world. He still maintains the fact that he is the father in creation. He still maintains the fact that he is Yahweh of old. But by his own self-limitation, God manifested himself in the flesh and becomes who we are to experience what we go through so that he could offer up a supreme sacrifice sacrifice and you would be able to say that I'm not serving a God that does not understand what I go through. Praise God, but I'm serving a God that knows exactly where I am and what I'm going through. Praise God. Somebody needs to say praise the Lord right where you are tonight. Are you thankful for an understanding of who he is? Isaiah said, Chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that Emmanuel mean? Matthew picks up that Old Testament verse and he drops it into his gospel. And he says in chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That God that is expansive in his presence become that God that can be seen, felt, and touched in the visage of the son and the child that is born to Mary. It is God with us. Isaiah said in chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, looking forward to the promise of the child that was to come, that we read in Matthew. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, 
the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Hallelujah. I hope you're feeling faith here tonight. I hope you're feeling what I'm feeling. We serve a wonderful God. He's wonderful in everything that he does. He's sovereign. He's great. He's wonderful in that he picked you out of the miry clay and gave you an opportunity to be free and have some liberty. That's the kind of God you serve. He's wonderful. He is counselor when you need a counselor to step in on your behalf and bring wisdom and strength and knowledge to you. He's a counselor. He is the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And if ever we needed a time of peace, he is the prince of peace. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee he will come forth as a ruler in Israel whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. That God that speaks to those Hebrews and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord is the same manifestation in the body of Jesus Christ of the one from everlasting. This is why John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is why John said in verse number 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The word was made flesh. John felt so strongly about this that in John chapter 8 and verse number 34, he said, I say therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. This is a bedrock foundational truth of the scripture. John reiterated a story of the Pharisees that were watching and trying to trap Jesus, the Jews, and they represent a realm of unbelief. They said to Jesus, they said, you're not yet 50 years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was I am. Jesus is the representation of the God from everlasting. He is directly tied to the hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse number 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Hallelujah. One more verse. In your reading here tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ. I want you to say that with me. God was in Christ. He was not a multiplicity of persons. God was in Christ. There was only one manifestation and one person. The person of his manifestation is Jesus Christ, reconciling the world unto himself and hath not imputing our trespasses unto us, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
There's an identity that is connected to us, even in those Hebrews. This identity is what, uh, is what was a foundation and what retained them in difficulties. It was a bedrock foundation when storms came their way. You can read through their history and know that despite severe opposition, they were able to stand in the face of adversity. Why? Because there was an identity in their life that said, we are not like everybody else. We're serving the one true God. We are different from the nations and the peoples of the world that is around us. And this understanding is what anchors us. It's what establishes us. It's what gave the Hebrew children the ability to look at everybody else and the influence and the intimidation and say, we will not bow to this image. Why? Because we are defined differently. We are the people of God. This is what gave Daniel the ability to go into a lion's den. Why? Because there was an identification in his life. We are people of the one God. Here O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Joseph made determinations in his life because of a commitment even before the Shema was given that we have read. We can read that Moses, even before the law, recognized that the I am that's calling out from the burning bush is a God that's going to direct and guide you. Amen. And it's the same God that Paul talks about in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number eight when he says beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily it's all in him it's all in him the mighty God is Jesus and it's all it's all in him I want to praise God just for a moment that I recognize and understand who he is. Praise God. Lord, I thank you and praise you and worship you. I magnify you and exalt your great name. Hallelujah. I'm called by your name, separated by your name and by the identity that is connected to your name. And so I give to you praise and I give to you thanks. And I want that understanding to anchor me and to be a foundation to me and be a strength to me. Praise God. We are people called by the name. Nudge your neighbor. Nudge your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor, you're called by a name that's above every name. <clears throat> Come on, tap somebody next to you and say, you're called by the name that's above every name. If there's nobody sitting next to you, it's okay. You're in house. You can talk to something. <clears throat> you can speak it out loud. Find an inanimate object and say to the inanimate object, we're called by people of the name. You say, Pastor, that's going a little too far. That's a little weird. Did you know that the psalmist said in one of his psalms, he said, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. That's an inanimate object. And David was saying, when the king of glory comes in, everything needs to take notice. Hallelujah. So take notice tonight. Amen. That God's a good God. God's a great God. And we are identified by that powerful name. 
Praise God. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Pastor, why do you baptize in Jesus' name? Because it's a full understanding and recognition that identifies every single verse that we have talked about tonight. If you have not been baptized, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Praise God. Somebody said, well, what about me? I was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Is that good enough? The name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. And the only New Testament <clears throat> baptismal formula that was given in the New Testament was in Jesus' name. And so if you're hearing what I'm saying here tonight... You need to identify with a name that is above every name. You say, well, how can I be baptized? I can't get to the house of God. Yes, you can. We can fill the tank up. We can meet you down here and you can be baptized in Jesus' name. It is important for your salvation to have that name applied to your life. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Let's take about 10 seconds right there. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. I'm thankful for his word. Praise God. It's verses like we are reading here tonight that anchor you in the midst of the storm. Hallelujah. There's nothing like the word of God. Some of these verses, some of your children know and they can quote. Why? Because you have taught them from an early age, from the very beginning to say our God is one Lord. Bible quizzers have spent time learning one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all, through all and in all. And they can correct you when you quote it wrong because they put it in their heart and put it in their mind. So I want you to reflect upon <clears throat> all of these verses and that particular commandment, the greatest of the commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But not only were you to hear this, not only did it define you, and certainly it defines you, it sets you apart. And I don't want to reiterate too much, but this is what set the children of Israel apart from all the nations around them. They were serving a God that they could not see. Most other gods were figurines, idols. They were built upon nature, and they had all of these idols and idolatry. This particular God that the Hebrews were serving, they could not see. He's a spirit. Can't see his spirit. And so they were following something that was different from the nations around them. And this was part of their struggle. But it is what defined them. It's what set them apart. And it was very, very uh, clarifying in the way that they were to view every detail of life. But they were not only supposed to hear this. They were supposed to do this. It was connected to every area of their life. And this is the reason for the title, your house, and you're in your house. So this is the reason I'm preaching this tonight. You're in your house. And the, your, your house is not only defined by your address. Your house is defined by the word of God and the understanding of who God is. And that is supposed to connect vibrantly into every detail of your life. It is supposed to be the conduct of the saints. It's supposed to be your practice. You cannot sever the identity of who you are from what you do. And in your house is where you do most 
of life, especially in this season that we're in. As a matter of fact, you're probably ready to get out of your house. And you may be able to go in the backyard and mess around in the backyard, but when it's raining, you're confined to that. Some of, as a matter of fact, some of you are probably are pulling your hair out because you're trying to teach the kids, and I'm not supposed to be the cook and the school teacher and, and, and uh, the judge and the jury about everything else that's going on and trying to keep things in order, and, and so I'm ready to pull my hair out. And so what you need tonight is you need something from pastor that says the Word of God's going to be with you. It's going to be all right. And so in your house, there is a practice and there's a way of, of doing things. And you cannot sever what you know from the practice of who you are. This passage of scripture informs us, but we're not simply supposed to uh, take it in and let it go in one ear and out the other. But we're to, a, it's like putting on uh, the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God. It's like putting on the identity of who God is and then it absorbing into my life. And it becomes very, very clear in the verses that follow this here verse that we're to worship him in, in every area of our life. Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number five. Watch this. Jesus has already mentioned this. I, I, I read this at the very beginning in, in the introduction, but it's repeated here. Jesus is simply repeating this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in, in thine heart. It's got to go from head knowledge, and it's got to make about 6 to 8 inches trajectory in what is described as the seat of the emotions, the heart. It's got to get in my heart. It's not enough for me just to be able to quote it and say it, but God, I want you to, I want you to allow this to penetrate my heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. You shall talk of them when you sit where? <laughs> Hello. Hello, somebody. When you sit in your house when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you sit in your house, you walk around your house, you lie down in your house and you rise up in your house and you're in your house. And so when you're in your house, when you're in your house, let the anointing of God permeate your house and let your house be the house of God. I want you to stop and think about this. They gathered together they would come together in the tent of meeting. That was for corporate worship. They would come in the tabernacle. That was the corporate place of gathering. Later, they would come to the temple. And all of these places were corporate houses of God that were instituted in the culture of the Hebrews' life. But just because they came to the house of God didn't mean that that was the only place that they were supposed to worship God. They were supposed to worship God in the corporate place, but then they were supposed to go home and they were supposed to worship God at home. It's not enough to come to the church and worship God. You got to take it to your house. Oh my goodness, I'm talking about where we're living right now. I'm in the house of God and thank God I'm here, but I'm also going home. And when I get home, I'm still going to be worship God in my house because my house, 
house, according to these, these passages of Scripture, my house is a house of God. I'm going to walk out in the backyard and I'm going to sing and I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God in the shower. I'm going to sing because it always sounds better in the shower. <laughs> it always sounds better. And I'm going to open the window. I'm going to lift up my voice and somebody may say, Dad, you need to stop that. The neighbors are going to hear. I don't care what the neighbors hear. They need to know this is a house of God. And so I'm going to play the music in my house. I'm going to talk about good things in my house. My house is not going to be a place of dysfunction. My house is not going to be a place of anger. Oh, I'm preaching now. My house is not going to be a place in which there's confusion. My house is going to be a house of God. I'm going to walk through my house. I'm going to lay down in my house. I'm going to rise up in my house. I'm going to talk about the goodness of God in my house because my house is a house of God. You need to pray in your house. I know this is new for all of us, but I think it would be good that you would pray for the house that you're in. Now, I just want to say this as well. Some of you are in situations, it's not even your house. You're living with somebody and you're in circumstances. And so I've got a couple points I want to make to that. Number one, God's going to provide a house for you. He didn't bring you this far not to carry it through. And I know that you put your faith and your confidence and you've told me I'm in a place. It's not the best place, Pastor. We're trying to do the best that we can. We're trying to let the anointing of God uh, filtrate this place and, and touch other people. But there's a lot of confusion and chaos and, and we're hanging on because the house of God was the only place that we could come and get any comfort and peace and we can't get to the house of God. And so we're in an environment and it's a difficult environment. I want to say the first thing to you is God's going to make a way for you. And one of these days you're going to have the ability to walk in your house and say, this is the house that God gave me. And this is the house of God. And I'm identified with his name and I am applying it in the house that he gave me. And I'm thanking him for it. So that's the first thing I want to say to you. The second thing I want to say to you is... Well, see, what was the second thing? The second thing is, while you're in that house, let there be a peace of God. Let there be a hand of God. Let there be an anointing of God. Let there be a mercy of God that impacts the house that you're in. Praise God. Amen. Make a positive influence on where you are. I'm going to make sure that my house is a house of prayer. I'm going to pray in my house. Amen. I'm going to sing in my house. Amen. I'm going to thank God in my house. I'm going to shout in my house. I'm going to worship in my house because this is a house of God. Hallelujah. I believe you can have revival in your house. I believe that somebody can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your house. I believe somebody can be renewed in your house. They went from house to house and they had revival in the first apostolic church. It doesn't have to be any different. People can receive the Holy Ghost. People can be healed in your house because your house is a house of God. Amen.
my intellect, my physical body, my spirit, my might, every area of my life. I don't leave the hero Israel at the church door. Amen. I am taking it into the house that God has given me, wherever that may be and whatever that may look like. Whether you're paying a mortgage, whether you're leasing, whether you're renting, it's the house of God if you're there and you have gathered in it. Make it a house of prayer. Praise God. Don't exempt yourself from God's anointing in your house. You're supposed to talk about it when you walk by the way. It's a private thing, but it's also a public thing. Amen. I want to say to you tonight that the great God that manifested himself in the flesh in Christ Jesus should be the God of your house. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 8. This verse is connected with a, a group of scriptures. Verse number 8 says, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house. Write it on the post of your house. Your house is not only defined by the address that's on the side of your house. Amen. Write this identity. Connect this identity with who God is on the post of your house and on your gates when you walk in through the doors. I don't know. You could have a physical. We just got back from Israel and they put those mezuzahs on the doorway. I guess you could do that. They're still trying to do that. But I'm, I guess I'm talking about something that's deeper than just something physical. But I'm talking about a spiritual connection that flows through your lifestyle that people in your neighborhood can feel and understand and know that those are folks that love God. And that's a that's an that's a demarcation in this neighborhood. It's not just a house with an address on it. But it's a house of God in the neighborhood. I'm going to write it on my posts and on my gates. And you were to do this, according to this passage of Scripture, as something that would be a memory that you would not forget that it was God that brought you out of bondage. It was God that plucked you out of a world of slavery and dysfunction and established you. This identity of that name and the practice of that is supposed to be in the very area that you spend the most time. Listen to me just for a moment. You spend more time in your house than you do in the sanctuary. The anointing of God should be just as strong in your house as you feel in the sanctuary. You say, well, I really don't feel that. Well, then, then ponder on that this week. What can I do to make the same anointing be in my house that I feel in this? What do we do in this sanctuary? 
We come in this sanctuary and we praise God and we pray and we worship. We read the scripture and there's proclamation and there's faith and we feel a moving of the Holy Ghost. The same things can take place. Same things can take place in your home right where you are. Yes, they can. So that when people walk in and they walk into the gates of your house and they walk through the doors of your house, they feel something. Praise God. I, I want... I want people that don't even know who I am to step into my house and all of a sudden stop and stand there for a moment. I don't even have to ask them. I don't think they're just standing there because they're looking at things in the house. I don't think that's it. I hope and I pray that what they're doing when they come in the house of God, in my house, is they feel, they feel something. And I pray it gives me an opportunity to open up their understanding that this house is not just any house. I pray that when people pass by, they feel something because this house your house is designated as a house of God. Amen. Praise God. Let the anointing of God and the power of God be in your house as they begin to sing here tonight. I'm going to pray right now for your house of God. Amen. God, I thank you and praise you. And I ask that every person that's listening under the sound of my voice.